So I want to start a series as we enter into the month of August that I couldn't come up with a better name because I was looking at a couple different uh, series as I was kind of putting this series together. And so I put this very basic name of Relationships 101. Relationships 101. And what I hope as we journey through the month of August and we look at relationships, this isn't just we're going to look at marriage, we're going to look at dating, we're going to look at singleness. No, no, no. We're going to try to mesh all of this together as we navigate relationships romantically from all stages of life and fit it all together to hopefully be able to relate across the board as we navigate relationships. Now, obviously, there's going to be some weeks that we might be a little more geared towards marriage and a little more geared towards singleness or a little more geared toward dating relationships. So you have to bear with me, but we're going to navigate, hopefully, relationships throughout the month of August. So as we begin this, I was thinking about this this week. Have you ever done something that isn't real or been tricked or pranked to do something or believe in something that's not real? So when we were growing up, my dad used to play this, if you want to even say it's a part, but he used to play a squirrel. Okay, so if you, if you were in our house when we were growing up and we were in elementary school, you would have our upstairs kitchen and then you would open this door if you went down the hall a little bit right across from the bathroom and you'd go down about 15 or 20 st steps into this pitch dark basement. There was no windows in our room other than the one that was into the garage and it was already dark in there so there was really no light down there. So you'd walk down these steps, take a left off the steps and our room would be right over there. And so what my dad would do is he would come down at night when it was dark, not super late, but he would come down and you would begin to hear on our door, we had like one of those thin, very thin wooden doors, and you would begin to hear this. And I remember I would lay there and I, I was scared to death. I'm going to be honest with you, growing up I was scared of everything. And so I hear this. And, and even in the back of my mind, I knew it was my dad, but there was something in me that just couldn't move, that was so scared, and so we'd begin to hear this scratching, and I would make my brother get up and go figure out what it was. And so then what my dad would do is he would just keep coming back every so often, you'd hear. And I'm like, this, this is just freaking me out, and we need to figure out what this is. And so I'd keep yelling at my brother, and my brother would get annoyed that I was asking him to go do it. And I just didn't get up and go do it. He didn't care, so my brother would eventually get up just so I would be quiet. He would open the door, and he'd be like, there's nothing out there. I'd be like, okay. So we go back to sleep, and, and sometimes this would keep going, whether until my brother would go out, and if he went out to the... You went out our room to the right. There was these kind of old western doors that went into our laundry room, which was pretty sweet. My dad would go in there and hide once he would make that sound on the door. And so eventually, if my brother went looking, he would go into that room and find my dad, and he would get scared, and then my brother would run back in there. But there were also some nights when my dad would come down, and he wouldn't find my dad or didn't know he was down there. And so towards the beginning... And so he would then, we'd go up to breakfast the next morning, and you just hear my dad say, well, did you hear that squirrel last night? And he would just begin to, like, kind of push in on this idea of this squirrel, quote-unquote, that was real, that was happening. But every time we opened the door, there was no squirrel there. 
And what was happening is no matter how many times me and my brother would open that door, not really me actually, more my brother, would open that door, we would never find a squirrel. Why? Because it was something that wasn't real. We were looking for something that wasn't real. Have you ever been looking for something that wasn't real? This leader at the, a former leader at the porch, his name's JP, he, he was talking about a story that, that he had his whole staff out on this retreat and they were going quote unquote snipe hunting. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that, but, but it's something that's not real. And so they had this girl, they told her, this is what you got to do. You go out in this field, you got this little like canvas sack and you got a headlamp on and you got to make this noise, something like, ooh, 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 ooh. And then once you did that, they would come and you would be able to catch them. And so she goes out there. She's doing this for like 10 minutes. They drive her up the corner and see her doing something, trying to look for something that wasn't real. How often do we look for something that isn't real? And in all reality, it can be funny and entertaining to look for something that's not real or to do something that's not real. And I think oftentimes we look at this idea of love and the love we often look for is not real. It's not real. We have been given an inaccurate view of what love is, told this is how love is supposed to be. And then we, we look for this love that is portrayed and we get disappointed when we don't find it. Love is much deeper than what, what we're seeing in our world. Love is much deeper than what's portrayed in movies. Love is much deeper than social media shows or TV shows or magazine show or dating profile show. All of that stuff is fake. It's all fake. And we're watching this. We're taking it in as we're watching the world navigate what truly, quote-unquote, is love, and we're seeing this, and we're, we're, we're looking for something that's not real. That kind of love isn't real. I'm not saying love isn't real. I'm saying that love that is being portrayed is not real. It's like me trying to figure out where the squirrel's at in my basement and I'm never going to find it because it's not real. And we've got people that are trying to find relationships with love, quote unquote, and they're pursuing something, a feeling that isn't real. In order to find something you are looking for, you need to know what it looks like, where to find it, and how to look. So that's what we want to unpack this morning as we look how do we find what real love is? Well, we got to know what it looks like. we got to know where to find it and how to look. And so I'm going to unpack this idea, and then we're going to uh, begin to dive in what fake love looks like. But I want to pack this idea, pursue real love. Pursue real love. Here's some interesting facts from Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Romance. You might know him as Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec. 
um, and or a different uh, show or movie he's been in, but he wrote a book called Modern Romance, and I think this is very interesting for us to know this morning. In the 1960s, 76, hear me, 76% of women admitted they would be willing to marry someone they didn't love. So three-fourths of women, almost 100%, I know that's not quite close, but a majority over... Half of the the women that said they would get married admitted that it didn't matter if there was love or not. Didn't matter. They saw marriage as a partnership doing life together. And they said, so what if there's no love there? We're going to get married and do life. That's what these people said in the 60s. During the 60s, late 60s and 70s, they didn't want a spouse but a soulmate. So just in a decade, not even a decade, probably a little more than a decade, 50s and 60s, we now don't need love. Two, we need a soulmate, somebody that I'm meant to be with. And then in the 1980s, 86% of men and 91% of women would not marry without the presence of romantic love. Two decades go by and we go from we don't need love to if there's no love present i don't want a relationship how do we do that how do we go from there do you know what happened starting at the end of the 60s and the 70s there was something called the sexual revolution sexual revolution where things like playboy birth control Probably more and more movies that were sexual were being produced. And now we're beginning to take in fake love. And so we go from marriage being this foundational life partnership that we do with each other in the 60s, 50s and 60s, to where we're at today that we have to have this magical feeling and that we have to be soulmates as we continue to ride the waves of the sexual revolution. If I were to ask you, and I'm not going to make you, but if I were to ask you, as we look around here this morning, to raise your hand if your grandparents are divorced, probably some of you would raise your hand, and your hand maybe more than half, I don't know. Maybe less than half, I don't know. So if I told you to raise your hand if your grandparents were divorced, you throw, put your hand up. Now, if I were to ask how many of you would raise your hand if your parents are divorced, you would probably see a lot more hands raised than grandparents divorced hands raised. You know what's interesting is that we have twice as many grandparents as we do parents. Okay? Because I have a mom and a dad, but I have my dad's parents and I have my mom's parents, so I have two sets of grandparents, but only one set of parents. And it seems logically that we should have more grandparents being divorced because we have more of them and less parents being divorced. But what's happened in our world is the flip, the quite the opposite, that we have almost probably double as many parents being divorced as grandparents. And I think it really shows as we look back at this book, Modern Romance, that our grandparents were part of this age we're, we're, they didn't need romantic love. They were just there to 
to get married. Sure, they were attracted to each other. Sure, they loved each other, but that didn't matter to them. That wasn't the top level. To where we're at now, you start to get our parents when they're getting married more in like the 80s, maybe some in the 70s. And now we have a presence of romantic love needing to be there. And so how do we find real love? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is to find fake love. Fake love. We find fake love because we don't know what we're looking for. And so in order for us to find real love, we need to define fake love so we know what that is so we don't begin to pursue that. So the first thing, first thing, fake love is defined by fake sources. Fake love is defined by fake sources. This would be the love that you see on movies, TV shows, social media, dating profiles. These are these fake sources where love is portrayed to us to what people think in our world love really is. There's no roots to these sources. They're fake. And so these people are getting paid to play these parts. There's being people that are are getting money or getting popularity or something to play a part of love. That's not real. That's not real. So these fake sources are showing us what love looks like. Another source we don't like to tend to talk about, uh, but seems to be growing in our world, and that many, many, many men and, and now a growing number of women are struggling with is pornography. We see something like pornography, and we see that growing, and so love is portrayed in that way, and we think that that's how love is supposed to be. We think that's the way that love should be. And so we're rooting what we define love in these sources that have no truth, but they're getting paid to do it. I think what we don't always realize is it is not the celebrities that you want. It's the parts that they are getting paid to play you want when it comes to love. It's all reality. I don't want this certain celebrity. What I want is the love that they're being portrayed or paid to play that they're portraying you know one of the big movies i'm not up on the times with the shows and the the movies that that portray love today things like too hot to handle the bachelorette the bachelor all those different things it's a I, i don't stay up with those but but when i was growing up i think what the picture perfect movie was that portrayed what love quote unquote was supposed to be like was the notebook the notebook I had to watch the trailer again for this because it's been so long. I think I've only watched it like once, but I had to go back and rewatch the trailer so I kind of knew what was going on. But basically what happens is Ryan Gosling wants to be together with this girl, and so they, they begin to form this relationship as they're growing up as teenagers, and they fall in love, and, and everything is so magical, and, and they're so emotionally driven and so uh, probably sexually driven and everything's just amazing and this is the picture-perfect relationship. Well, then at some point, they get separated. He goes into war. He gets, I don't know if he gets drafted, I don't know if he enlists, but he goes into war. The relationship falls apart. She then meets another guy, gets engaged to marry him. And then something happens again. I haven't seen the whole movie in a while. 
that breaks off their marriage and these two end up getting back together through an up and down roller coaster of emotions and there's so much love that I think when people used to watch this movie when I was growing up they're like this is what I want this is the kind of love that I'm looking for that that sure we're we're gonna meet and we're gonna be so in love and we might be separated for a while but that's okay I know we're gonna be together in the future and so I just gotta wait it out and I gotta fight for her and I gotta love her but I also gotta wait and we're going to magically get back together. Sure, we may fight. Sure, we may have a tough time. But ultimately, we're going to get back together. And we're going to be in love forever. And so we see a movie like The Notebook portray this. And we go, that's how love's supposed to be, right? Fake love is defined by fake sources. Second thing, fake love is self-serving. Fake love is self-serving. If I'm honest with you, and you got to hear me on this, because if you hear this out of the context, you're probably going to go, whoa, Taylor, whoa. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. And so here's what you need to understand. Is I'm saying this, but hear me. Real love, if we're honest, is sacrificial and it's boring. Real love is is sacrificial and boring. We see this stuff in the movies and we think this is incredible and it's all about me and it's all about my emotions and what I'm feeling. And yet, when we look at biblical love that we'll look here momentarily, it's a lot more sacrificial. It's boring. Not like it's portrayed. Self-serving, what this idea of self-serving is seeing what you can do to them or get from them. Make sure you hear me on that. Self-serving is seeing what you can do to them or what you can get from them. And you might go and say, whoa, are we going to talk about this? Yeah, let's talk about this for a second. Let's dive into this for a second. We need to talk about the intimacy side of a relationship. And so let's dive into it. Let's look at it. Here's a couple things I want to tell you about. So I was listening to a message this week by, again, JP. And he has a friend who's got uh, in the field of stats. And here's some things he shared. Couples that have what is considered a lot of sex have 3,240 minutes of sex a year. Again, that number is 3,240 minutes of sex a year. There are 526,600 minutes each year, which means if you take the number 3,240 minutes that we would have sex and the amount of total minutes in a year, 526,600, that is only 0.62%. Then there's 99.3%. 38% of the time that you're not having sex. So what are you doing the other 99, almost 100% of the time? When we invest in this fake love, we get so excited that, that we're, we're going to get married. <clears throat> and we're going to 
have so much sex all the time and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be incredible. We're swinging from the chandeliers and it's going to be the best thing in the world. But in all reality, less than 1% of the time that's happening. So what are you doing the other 99% of the time? What other ways are you investing in the relationship other than just sex, seeing what you can do to them or what you can get from them? We get in our minds that that's all it's going to be. And I think even if I, if I look at my own life, I, I kind of came under that spell that, that once I get married, that's, that's something that we don't always talk about in the church. And, and some people can be very uh, kind of uptight about talking about it. And was like, I just know that you're not supposed to have sex until you're married. And so once you get married, that's going to be all you're ever going to do. But it's not. And fake love is self-serving. Seeing what you can get. Or what you can do. You don't have to have sex. You, you don't want to have sex, sorry. But experience godly intimacy. Hear that again, what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't, don't have sex. What I'm saying is you don't want to have sex, but experience. You want to experience godly intimacy. Even in sex, it's not about you. It's a sacrificial act. Third thing, fake love is rooted in how they make you feel how they make you feel. A question we were asked when we got married is why do you love him or her? Dan asked us as we sat down for marriage counseling, each one of us, Shannon, why do you love him? Taylor, why do you love her? And I think nine, at, nine times out of 10, also if you were to sit down with me and do counseling, marriage counseling, I would ask you the same thing. And, and I think the question that, that, this is asking that tends to be the answer for what we give to this question is they just make me feel so so amazing what they make me feel is incredible they make me feel like i'm the only woman in the world and that i'm the only one for him and i'm on top of the world that's why i love him or her that's why i love them and here's a question that i think a lot of people back with and dan asked us this and I would push back on you and I would tell you to ask yourself what happens when they don't make you feel that way anymore what happens in the moment when they no longer make you feel on top of the world what happens if you put all your chips in that basket then the logical way is when that doesn't that's not the way you feel then you leave you take all the chips out. You say, I'm done. And I think that's what we're seeing in our world today. What we see is everyone else doing in our world, even those that are married, is they just give up. Well, they, don't, they just don't make me feel that way anymore. I just don't feel the same way as I did 10 years ago. Well, the love isn't the same anymore. What the problem is, is our world is putting all their stock into this fake love 
That's all about how you feel. And so when I don't feel like that anymore, then I just pull out and I don't do it anymore. I'm just done. I give up. And that's why we're seeing this rise of divorce happening. Because people are just giving up because they don't feel that way anymore. When we put our love into how the person makes us feel, we are setting ourselves up to fail. They will not, and I promise you, they will not make you feel that way all the time. The last thing, fake love is a drug. Fake love is a drug. And let me unpack this for a second. In a simplistic way, drugs are something that we use, we get addicted to, and then we get hurt by them. Okay? It's a very simplistic way. I'm not going to dive too deep into it of what drugs are. There's my favorite movie. You can, pro- you can only watch it, I think, on Amazon Prime. Is this movie called Beautiful Boy. Beautiful Boy. And if you've never seen this movie, I think it's an incredible movie. It is a little raunchy, so just a heads up on that. But what happens in this movie is there's this uh, character who gets hooked on drugs when he's in high school and has this ultimate battle to fight addiction over the next years of his life. His dad, played by Steve Carell, one of the best movies I've seen Steve Carell play, and that's not funny um, because I feel like a lot of times I I see him in a non-funny role. And he's just not that good. But I think he does incredible in this. And you see the way that this this boy, Nick is his name, struggles with addiction going in and out of rehab facilities. Begins then to take the, the allowance money from his siblings because he needs anything. Because he's so addicted to these drugs, crystal meth, that he's really hooked on. He's so addicted to it that he's willing to take his sibling's allowance money so he can get it. He's been in the hospital probably two or three times on an OD. He's been hurt by these drugs. He then begins to take money from his parents and take things from his parents because he's hooked on these drugs. And he struggles through this whole movie, having fights with his parents, having fights with his dad. And at the end of the movie... You see him in a rehab facility, and you're not sure how the rest of the story goes. But it does an incredible job to portray the way that you get hooked on drugs, what that can do to you, and the ways that it can hurt you. It's an incredible movie. I have the book in my office as well uh, that talks about his journey, his story that the movie was based on. And so when you look at this idea that fake love is a drug, it's just like the struggle in Beautiful Boy that that we use it, we get addicted to it, and we get hurt by it. Drugs make you experience a feeling you can't experience normal. If I wanted to feel what it was like to get high, I can't just magically go, Okay, I'm going to feel it now. And just magically do it without drugs. You can't experience that feeling unless you're on drugs. You can't experience this fake love unless you are on the fake love drug. 
And so we take the fake love to experience something we can't experience normally, which is real love. We take fake love so we can experience this magical feeling because we can't experience that normally because that's not love. It's not love. When you use fake love as a drug, you use people, get addicted to people, and you hurt people. It can be a dangerous thing to go into, just like it's a dangerous path to go into drugs. It's a dangerous road to go down the fake love drug. So now, now, what is real love? What is real love? As we quickly unpack this, the first thing you need to know is that real love is a verb. It's not a feeling, but an action. I think a lot of times we get that confused and we go, well, well I don't feel like loving. Well, love is a verb. It's something you do. It's an action you take. It's not always how you feel. What is real love? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. We have a like picture up in our house that has some of this on it. This is a verse you've probably heard a lot of times. They share it at weddings. This is what real love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. First thing you need to know is that real love is defined as sacrificial service. Real love is defined as sacrificial service. What does that mean? Well, when we looked at fake love, it's self-serving. Real love is serving others. This means that even when your significant other or the one you're in a relationship with or your spouse hurts you, you still love them because it keeps no record of wrong. Love in a fake love, well, they hurt me. And so that makes me feel hurt. And so now I'm going to push them away. I'm going to be mean to them. No, no, no. Real love is sacrificial. It doesn't matter how I feel. What I'm supposed to do is love them. Because love is a verb, it's an action, it's not always how I feel. And so even when they hurt me, I still love them because it keeps no record of wrong. This means when someone is annoying you or trying to get somewhere, and we're trying to get out of the house, I know I, I do this a lot with Shannon because I'm always trying to get somewhere and she's being the wonderful mother she really is and taking care of our baby, and getting our baby ready to go out the door, and I'm like, we just need to go, we just need to go, and, and I still love her because love is patient. When you choose real love, you are choosing to serve who you are loving. You are choosing to serve who are your who you were loving. I mean, just read this if you want to go. I don't have time to go in depth in each one. It's patient. It's kind. It's not boastful. It's not jealous. It's not proud. And it's not rude. It doesn't get irritated. And it keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't rejoice about injustices, but enjo it rejoices in 
truth. Love never, 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 make sure you hear that, never gives up. This is real love. But in order for you to see this, you need to understand you are loved first. You need to understand you are loved first. John chapter 15. John 15 says this. In verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You say, what does that have anything to do about you being loved? God sent his son to die on a cross for you. He laid his life down for you. There's no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friend. You're his friends. You're the love of his life. You need to understand what Jesus did for you and how much he loved you so that you can begin to love people the way that Jesus loved you. You need to know that as you love. Second thing, love, real love, is sincere. Real love is sincere. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says this, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly, hold tightly to what is good. This means you don't just tell the person that you love them, but you serve them. We can't just tell, I can't just tell my wife Shannon that I love her. I need to show her that I love her. I need to serve her. I need to give her action to my words. When you are sincere, you are genuine. This means giving up sometimes what you want to do so you can be with them or do what they want to do. This means taking care of the house, cleaning, doing dishes, mowing. This is sincere love, saying we've come together in this partnership and we got things to do and I'm going to do this because I want to serve you. Shannon's busy with the baby. She takes care of the baby. I say, it's all right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to clean. I'm going to sweep. I love sweeping, but I hate sweeping all the hair. Love mowing, doing the dishes. I'm going to serve you. I'm just going to tell you I love you. I'm going to show you. This means still going on dates when you're married. Still going on dates when you're married. Something we've made sure we do each month is find at least one time that we go on a date. Some people do better than us and do every week. We right now do one time a month. We have a date. Your significant other your spouse, your partner, your fiance needs to know, needs to see that you truly love them in a sincere way by showing them, not just by telling them. Not just by telling them. Real love is sincere. It's genuine. You know it when you see it. Last thing, real love is not motivated by fear. Real love is not motivated by fear. 1 John 4.18 says this, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is not fear of punishment. And this shown shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. 
one of the first things um, I sat down with Greg a little while ago when uh, I was counseling with him and I was diving into my story trying to figure out what were things I was believing, what were lies that I've trapped in my in my heart and I was beginning to believe. And one of the biggest things as he was walking through my story, there were three things that he pulled out. Three things that he pulled out uh, that were fears, quote unquote, you could say that, that I had in the biggest one, the biggest one, and I still even feel like it sometimes today. Not necessarily that I'm married, but even spiritually, and even just sometimes in my life. But one of the biggest fears that I had in my life was the fear of being alone. Fear of being alone. I didn't want to be alone. More importantly, until I found Shannon, I felt like, what if I'm alone forever? What if I never marry anybody? And so I had this fear that I was going to be alone the rest of my life. And what this verse is saying is that perfect love casts out fear. This love has no fear. This means if you sit here and you're not married, you do not have to fear being alone. You are never alone because you always have God. You need to remember that. But we see people getting back together that shouldn't get back together because they're scared they're going to be alone. We see people not break up with people they should break up with because they're afraid that they'll be alone. And so their love is motivated by fear. But real love, real love is not motivated by fear. What happened in the 50s and the early 60s is they saw marriage as the foundation, not the furnishing. So let's say you're building a house. In order to build a good house, you have to have a solid foundation, and then you build the house on it, and then you put the furnishings in there. You put stuff like couches and lamps and lights and all these furnishings in there. And so when they were, were, were building, quote-unquote, their houses in the 50s and 60s, they used marriage as the foundation and all the other stuff came and was built on top of it. The attraction. The feelings of love. The furnishing. But marriage, being together, living out love was their foundation. What we've done in our world today is we've put the foundation as the fake love and marriage has become a furnishing that comes after the house is built. What the world has shown us is not real love. So where do we find it? Where do we find it? You find it, if real love is serving, you find it among the servants. It makes logical sense. If real love is serving, not self-serving, but sacrificial serving, then you find it among those who are serving as well. So let me tell you something. There's this idea that we hear all the time that's called be with somebody or don't be with somebody who's not evenly yoked as you. If you don't know what a yoke is, is what, what they would do is they would put kind of like, it's almost like this harness, this necklace on these ox or whoever was pulling it. And there was this little bar that they would kind of put in their mouth and not kind of controlled where they went. There was two of them. 
And so what would happen is when they put that on, in order for them to pull it, they had to be on the same page, that they would have to go the same direction or they wouldn't really move. If one wanted to go to the right but the other one stayed straight, one of them was going to break their neck. They had to go the same direction at the same speed. They couldn't go in opposite ways in order to pull that. And I think what we're trying to do in a lot of our relationships is we don't understand what real and fake love is. And so we're, we're, we're trying to be with somebody on our yoke that's not going the same direction and the same speed as us. And so one of us is pulling and breaking our neck. The divorce rate among those who pursue God and pursue real love is zero. Make sure you understand what real love is and what it isn't. Where you find it? Among the servants. Be with somebody who's evenly yoked, running the same speed and the same direction as you. Are they pursuing Jesus and want the life He wants for you, like you are? And someone who does not know God cannot live out 1 Corinthians 13. So you cannot expect them to do that. Real love is defined as sacrificial service. Real love is sincere. Real love is motivated by fear. Real love is found among the servants. Fake love is a drug. Fake love is rooted in how they make you feel. Fake love is self-serving. And fake love is defined by fake sources. Make sure, make sure you pursue real love. I end with this illustration. I don't think he would mind me telling it, but he's not here, so he can't really tell me not to. Um, but my cousin <clears throat> really fell in love with this person uh, when he was growing up. He was even so nervous to even talk to this girl that even when we would go to church, he had a hard time even being around her because he was so nervous. And he had a hard time even talking to her. But eventually he mustered up enough courage to ask this girl out. And so I think they might have done something at one point. You know, gone on a date or gone over to each other's house, whatever it was. And then um, later on they decided, I don't know if she asked him or he asked her. But one of them asked if they would go to the homecoming dance. And so they ended up going to her at her school homecoming dance, and he was kind of excited for it. This was like his first dance with the girl that he's in love with and, and really hadn't talked much about who she was, what she believed, how she lived her life, but he was just so in love with her it didn't matter. And so they went to this dance, and he was so excited for it, and they danced a little bit. And then at one point he went to go get something to drink. Get something to drink, and he turned around, and the girl he was with, at the dance, was dancing with another guy, and they kissed. He was pursuing somebody who believed in a fake love. He was pursuing fake love. He didn't have it all figured out. And what happened is she was pursuing fake love, so she was addicted to people, she used people, and she hurt people. Fake love is what the world's trying to portray to us. Real love 
is much, much different. Pursue real love. Let me pray.